Greetings, and welcome to Trinity Radio Extra. Trinity Radio Extra. I was just extra. That's all. Oh, I thought you. I wasn't telling you to shut up. No. Well, that's normally your signal for me to shut up and wait. You had something (laughs) you wanted to say while you're playing like a clip where they can't see you. But anyway, today we are going to talk about excuses and eschatology. So there are any number of theological issues out there that that we don't have strong opinions about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are other theological issues that we have very strong opinions about. Uh, there are some issues that out there that we have, you know, could be this, could be that, um, could go either way. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that we sometimes make excuses for why we don't have strong opinions on certain things. And the big one for, I think, both of us is eschatology. And my excuse is, is really, I don't have a lot of time to jump into eschatology to nail down my view on it. Even though I have a broad familiar, familiarity, not a, not, a, not a super deep familiarity with, with all of the you know, all of the details of every view to fully convince me, but it's just not high on my agenda to wade into it. So for me, I typically lean towards a uh, partial preterist slash all millennialist view because of the way that I interpret certain texts. They, they seem to be in line with that view, right? Uh, or with those views. So I'm kind of comfortable with that, but I'm not, I don't walk around wearing partial preterist or all millennialism on my sleeve or anything because I'm not fully uh, committed to that view. Because um, even though I seem to like to pick on dispensationalists, but for the cheap reasons, not for the good ones, right? I mean, I, I pick it on for, for the, the fun end times hysteria type stuff, which is which is mostly you like to straw man them right and attack that well no i did it's just it's but just, you're aware that there are scholars right. in that discipline that yeah could probably school just, you yeah it's just easier to make jokes you know because of the hal Lindsay's uh, uh, of that and the the uh left behind yeah yeah uh, tim lahaye version of that not not like not the dan wallace version of uh, of dispensationalism right but mm-hmm. but the, the the knockoff stuff so um, but I could be convinced. I could be convinced on 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 these views um, quite easily. I don't even know that I've actually settled on the best reading of of Revelation, for example. Uh, from I I like to go with Steve Gregg on this, right? Um, you have that partial preterist re- reading with a mix of a little idealism, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I'm, again, that seems compelling to me, but uh, things such as double fulfillment and prophecy, other things have me thinking, well, is there a futurist yeah. element to this? All of these different things make, but, but I now, don't. Steve, Steve Gregg yeah. actually said, and he's going to be on our show not too long from now. Yeah. I, I'll tell you on Trinity Radio, the, the original channel, um, having a debate 
That'll be mm. interesting. It'll be the first yeah. ever Trinity Radio debate. I mean, Pritchett and I have obviously debated there, but um, but but not seriously. Um, and uh, but, but anyway, Steve Gregg, when he was here presenting his lecture, yeah. so we've got two courses on Revelation at Trinity. Yeah. One is from a futurist perspective. Yeah. One is from a partial preterist perspective. Slash a little bit of idealism. Okay. Yeah. Well, everybody has a little bit of idealism. Yeah. Right. You know. So um. You, you tell a preacher to preach out of a particular chapter of Revelation, he's got to do something with it uh, other than just the end times type stuff. Yeah. You know? so, so tell so, them the four views of Revelation, not what people often think. Uh, so you've got the futurist view. Yeah. And many people think this is the only one. Yeah. Most, I would say, I bet you most evangelicals today yes. think that's the only one that there is. Is Because when they ask you, what's your view on Revelation? Often it'll be followed with, are you a, are you a pre-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, mid-trib? You know, that, right. that, those are the categories they're thinking in when they ask you um, your view on Revelation. However, that all of those things are under the futurist view. Right. And the futurist view is the view that says that much of the book of Revelation um, is, is happening in the future. It's in times type stuff. Then you have the idealist view, and, and I'm going to butcher this, but the idealist view is more like what the revela what Revelation is giving you is the Christian story, the Christian life, the Christian. There's these images are images, and there's metaphors and all these things, and you can draw from them wherever you're at in human history as a Christian. All right. Okay. Then you've got the historicist view, um, and the historicist view says that uh, the story of Revelation maps to the history of the world from uh, on up to today. Um, and so that, that was a, uh, that was a view that, um, that has pretty well died out. I, my understanding is that seventh day Adventists, at least many of them hold to the historicist yeah. view. Um, but that is pretty well died out that view. Yeah. And then there is the preterist view now um, within, within the preterist perspective, there partial preterists are arguing now that they just want to be preterists. And that, that needs to be the normal thing is that what is what is referred to as partial preterism is just preterism. Is preterism. And full preterism is just heresy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what and, they want. And, and, and the reason the difference is there, the partial preterist. So the preterist position says that largely what we're looking at in Revelation is stuff that was fulfilled in 70 A.D., uh, the destruction of the temple. And there are all kinds of interesting case uh, things that there's a case to be made there where you, you know, if, if you take Josephus, who wouldn't have read Revelation, and you take Josephus and what he says about the destruction, the, the, the war and the destruction of the temple and all those kind of things, what he says at, at several important moments sound very, very similar to what you see in Revelation. Right. For example, um, hundred pound hailstones. Well, he said that there were hundred pound stones that were fired with catapults that were painted white so that or they would have been painted white so that they would not be able to be seen clearly in the sky uh, for someone looking up at the sky. So the, interesting there, he talked about how um, the water was like blood because of all the bodies and all these kind of things. So you can map some of those things to it. And the parallels are pretty strong and, and, and con convincing, I think. Um, one of the, the, but the full pre, but the partial preterist will still say some of the things in the final chapter of chapters of Revelation are future oriented. Yeah, and so the that there are still is future oriented, whereas the full yeah. preterist says, yeah, there's no future bodily resurrection. I think our Trinity professor Chris Date is actually going to be having a debate, or maybe he already did have a debate. as a pre partial preterist against a full preterist. Yes. Yeah. 
No, it's still coming up. Oh, it's still coming mm -hmm. up. Yeah. So. And he's debating somebody who's really got a lot of videos doing that kind of debate. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, uh, so there's all that. So there's the preterism discussion. And one thing that kind of gums things up between basically the, the arguments take place largely between the preterists and the futurists. Mm -hmm. So the preterists and the futurists argue, and you're going to hear um, the futurists say about the preterists, well, that's because they don't take a literal reading of Revelation. Now, not the academically high-minded. They'll know better than to say this, but you, you don't take a literal reading of Revelation. If you did, you would believe like us. And some preterists might even say that the other way. But here's the thing. Nobody, no Christian today, really takes a literal reading of everything in Revelation. Right. Um, they read it literarily. Everyone has some imagery and some literal stuff, and where you put those is going to be de is dependent on the perspective that you take. Um, so, so that's that's the spread there. And what I was going to say about Steve Gregg initially was, you talked about prophecies of double reference. Yeah. For those that don't know, a prophecy of double reference is a prophecy that is made uh, that has an immediate fulfillment, but then does point to something else down the road. It has a fuller fulfillment. So, for example, Matthew's use of the virgin birth um, yeah. prophecy in Isaiah. That would be an example of something that's a prophecy of double reference, perhaps. And so one, one position that Greg admits that one could take is to say, okay, basically the partial preterist view is correct. Like a futurist could do this. Could say, basically, the partial preterist perspective is correct. But it was all a prophecy of double reference. So that there was a fulfillment of sorts in the first century, but it's also all pointing toward things like the futurist thinks in the end times. Yeah. So that's kind of the lay of the land. And your view of eschatology is what? Well, so... Um, when I was pastoring, right. no, listen, okay. I, when I was pastoring, I present, I presented the futurist pre-trib pre-millennial so pre that I don't eat post toasties. That's how Geisler said it, um, perspective. And I went through the Bible, uh, three or four times. Most recently I did it at center of hope church here for their Wednesday night. We went all the way through revelation, but by then I was more aware of these other perspectives and had done all the study and all that sort of thing. And so I presented, as I went through, I presented like four views as I moved through it. Yeah. Um, my father, it, it bears mentioning, is a strong futurist yeah. um, uh, scholar. Futurist, dispensational, premillennial, pre-trib. Pre pre-trib, pre-so-pre, pre, he doesn't eat post-toasties. Right. right. And, um, and so, I, you know, for a long time, that was the only view available to me. And at this point, that's still kind of my official view, but I see very strong reason to think that the partial preterists have got something here. Yeah. So, so much so that, that I could see myself in the future kind of moving in that direction. Now you about this, you could see yourself, you could, you could see yourself in the future. Now I work with you every day. We've been friends for six years. Okay. I could see myself publicly affirming that. Yeah. At some point in the future. But that is dependent upon you doing more work in this area to come to a conclusion. Yeah. Like when I decided I'm going to go read everything I can get my hands on this eternal security, conditional security thing, and then settle that in my mind. I wanted to do that. I had a drive and a motivation to set aside the time to go do that. 
and I've known you for six years. And other than because you had a passing interest in a the book of Revelation, you read a, a four views book on Revelation because you wanted to get familiar with it uh, more. And I wanted to get familiar with Revelation. So we, we read some stuff on Revelation because we knew Steve Gregg was coming. Mm-hmm. And by golly, we better have something to talk about when Steve Gregg's here so we don't look stupid. And I've been through Revelation with Steve Gregg, and he's a partial preterist right. three times. And, and so we did that. But that's that was like a cram session, just so that we could have the conversations and not look like we didn't know what we were talking about. Uh, I can be honest. I, I, I'm not a big scholar of the book of Revelation, right? So I wanted to go read some stuff and get familiar with uh, Steve Gregg's commentary and Steve Gregg's audio commentary on the Bible. And and, and you probably read a lot more than I did on it. Um, but that Revelation is not the the all there is to be with well, that's regard true. to yeah. eschatology anyway. So, so my question to you is, if at the future at some point you could say, I could see myself holding a partial preterist type view, what is it, what would it take to motivate you to go do the kind of level of research that I know it takes for you to do before you come to conclusions on issues of theology that you in, that you that you want to nail down? Um, well, I don't know. Uh... It could be that I see something, some video or something that just gets me fired up about it. Um, it could be that I see a debate and it piques my interest in a new way. I, I, you know, one thing some people might think when they're listening to us talk about this is you're supposed to know for sure and have your view all ironed out. You're a seminary professor. Well, in fact, that's precisely the case. We're seminary professors. And we're not pastors. Now, I don't think that a pastor has to have everything figured out. Um, but church members typically want their pastors. To and have I think it can be out. dangerous for a pastor to always think he's got everything figured out. Yeah. Um, but we're aware that to have the level of precision that we... So we're aware that our what we think, whether it should or not, has an impact on what other people think. Yeah, right? especially we're, students. We're, we're yeah. quote-unquote influencers, right? Mm. Not just on YouTube, but yeah, at Trinity Seminary. And so, um, because of that, uh, I, I think it's important that we really know what we think about this to say, here's the view that we accept. Now, typically the way we do it on YouTube and at Trinity, when we don't know the answer to a question, me and Jonathan, is we lay out the possible views and try yeah. to represent them fairly yeah. and, and all that and do that on, on everything, even the things where we do know what we believe. Uh, for example, if you take my class on the nature of hell, you're going to get a fair explanation on all of it. But the thing is, um, uh, I would I, maybe if you assign me a class where I have to learn all that, maybe then I'll have a view. Yeah. I know that would be the case. See, and I shouldn't have just said that. There are a lot of interesting. Yeah, I can create all kinds of work for you. <laughs> You're, you're now teaching the, I'll tell Dr. Chatham that you're going to teach the eschatology class next, <laughs> next year. Uh, go figure out what you believe. But, you know, uh, obviously we know in a general sense what all the positions are. And the reason why we don't firmly commit is because insofar as what we know of all of the general views, they all have some things that you can take issue with and they all have some things some more than others, um, though, but some things that, that, that make them compelling, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why smart people agree with all of these views. And, but for me, uh, what I want to stress is 
it's okay not to have a strong opinion about it, right? It's easier to come to a conclusion after you've done all of the necessary exegetical work, right? And done all the necessary study. But when I was doing the, going through the process of what do I believe about eternal security versus conditional security, I read a ton of books on that subject and really went back and forth through all that, you know, uh, to let go of eternal security. Um, it wasn't until after I had been really getting in, into socio-rhetorical method that I realized that I was no longer a Calvinist because as I worked my way through text using that methodology and all of the insights of the socio-cultural data, you know, the ideological text, you're going through that, going through uh, trying to understand uh, scripture as uh, the sacred texture, uh, going through that whole process of interpretation using those insights from cultural anthropology and everything else about Bible backgrounds in the New Testament. I realized I can't meaningfully call myself a Calvinist if I continue to exegete these texts in a way that in my sacred reading texture, uh, I don't come to any theological conclusions that mesh with Calvinism. And so I decided at that point, I realize I'm no longer a Calvinist. So am I willing to do that for eschatology? Well, like I said, I have leanings and sympathies towards all millennialism and partial preterism because I keep finding myself as I go through the New Testament line by line, saying that it's my interpretation lines up with a lot of uh, the partial preterist scholars who are just writing biblical commentaries. And I come to find out that that's their eschatological view as well. Not that that's what they're talking about in any particular uh, passage, even when they're going through the Olivet Discourse or anything else. So for me, it's like, it'll take more than just watching an interesting debate on it. Because, I mean, we had Steve Gregg here. He's written a commentary on it. I read a bunch of stuff from him so that I could have a conversation with him about it. He holds a particular view. And yet, even after I sat through, and you sat there, we're actually, if you watch his Revelation course, we're off camera just sitting there taking notes and staring like little fangirls, you know, when he's talking. Um, It's like, we're in the presence of genius, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But after that was over, I was like, that was really, really, really good. And then I go back to not caring about eschatology or even wanting to delve into Yohanin scholarship and read 20 different commentaries on Revelation even. So I don't know what it's going to take for me to really want to be more than just quasi-committed to a leaning towards one particular view. Um, But what is it about eschatology that makes so many people? Because I know Dr. James White, for example, he, uh, I think he's an all-millennialist. I think he said that, and a partial preterist. Um, but he says he doesn't, he doesn't want to get into debates on it. He doesn't even want to do dividing line episodes on it. And, so, and I know a lot of guys in apologetics, prominent apologetics, who shy away from uh, getting into eschatology. And I just, I've, I've always curious, what are your, why, why are we like that? I don't know. You don't know. I have no idea. 
But I mean, now, now in the defenders class, William Lane Craig, mm -hmm. he defends kind of the futurist view, right? Mm -hmm. So he takes a position on that. Yeah, he takes the futurist view, and I forget what exactly what his specific futurist perspective is. He yeah. told me in Israel, and um, you're it, so interested in the topic that you've already forgotten. Well, no, it was an interesting conversation. What yeah. I remember about the conversation was he. Uh, I was asking him his perspective on Revelation and we were talking about it and he presumed that I was only aware of the pre-trib premillennial futurist perspective when in reality I was aware of the whole gamut right. and was wanting a detailed answer on that. And so instead he spent about 10 minutes explaining to me the details of, of, the, of the various views on, on Revelation within the futurist view. And I was wanting to find out uh, what his responses also would be to like a partial preterism perspective yeah, and stuff. But it, but I think because he presumed I didn't know anything, <laughs> we never got, we never got that far. Yeah. That's so what, what he explained to you was everything that you've heard your dad explain for, for yeah, I mean, all your I've life. Already knew about, yeah. yeah. Why your dad? That's okay. He's William Lane Craig. If William Lane Craig wants to explain the alphabet to me, I'm happy to sit and listen. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, I don't know. So, for me, I just don't get excited about eschatology. And for so many other people that I've known all throughout my life, that is like one of the things they get most excited about, you know, especially the futurists. And I, I'm not going to take a cheap shot because they think the newspaper is giving them revelation with, with every headline. But I mean, futurists tend to be more excited about the topic of eschatology in general. Right than mm -hmm. than other people. This is so boring of an episode that Braxton's typing on his phone. No, okay. I, something kind of important. Okay. I'm sorry. Something Go ahead. Kind, something. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Literally, talking on your phone is more important <laughs> no. uh, than, than talking about eschatology. Okay, look, that look, person, that look, that, that, that right there the in point. a microcosm <laughs> makes the point. But here's the thing. First of all, if that offends you, it does not offend me at all. It, okay, all right. it, that's the, it makes the point. I just spit the live <laughs> chat on my phone while you were. Well, right, that's right. That's what I was gonna say. Mm. You owe me, I owe you one, right. right? No, but I'm just saying. But it really that's that's how it is with me. It's okay. They're gonna talk about eschatology now, so I tune out because my thing is I lean a certain way, but I'm not committed to it. And Jesus wins in the end, and that's fine. Right. I mean, Amen. Jesus wins. Right. Jesus the pan wins. view, the pan millennial view. It all pans out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but and we say that as a joke, but yeah. that's really for a lot of especially in apologetics, that's kind of the deal. It's yeah. and if it's mm -hmm. not and if it's not that way in private, it's certainly that way in public ministries among apologists. Um mm -hmm. because we don't want to talk about it. It's like, well, I mean, that's and I wonder if that is because of the futurist dispensational stigma with eschatology in general that 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 not the academic not the you know not the dan wallace not the the uh, dallas theological seminary view of dispensational and futurist eschatology but just the the street level you know futurism and and, and dispensationalism i wonder if they have if that whole movement has so soured everybody that even people of other eschatological perspectives don't make mm -hmm. hay out of it because they don't want to get lumped in with the sky is falling end times people. Right? Because I mean, how many, how many people 
of all these theological debate channels, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where they're not just debating, not, I'm talking about there's these de- a debate a week on some theological issue. How mm-hmm. many of those are really focused on eschatology? I mean, I'm very sure, few, very few Seriously, compared very to, few. I mean, it's all Calvinism and other stuff, right? Yeah. I don't know why those subjects, I don't know why Cal, the sociological discussion is particularly so, um, prevalent, interesting to people. Right. But I, eschatology, I people from other eschatological views are not as amped up and excited to talk about it in general. Uh, now that was not true even about what? 15, 20 years ago when partial preter, or I guess they want to be called preterists. Preterists did start a little bit to make some hay about preterism and all millennialism. Scott mm-hmm. Storms, uh, I mean, Scott's Sam Storms wrote a book, the all millennial alternative. And that kind of made a little bit of a splash, I guess, in, in the uh, publishing world. But again, not much. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, you know, I'm wondering what is eschatology going to roll back around and I'm wondering if does it need to roll back around as a major topic to it get will. people like us interested in it. The problem is, I feel like there's been, I, I feel like that. I mean, we're looking in our bubble, yeah, and in our bubble, it doesn't seem to be as hot right now, but it's hot elsewhere. Well, no, dispensationalism and futurism never goes out of style. Right, no, that's hot right now because. I mean, the, 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 the street level version of it, the, the Pew version of it's extremely hot right now because of 2020 is just, this is where you're living in it, right? Get mm-hmm. ready. The Antichrist is about to pop out of the UN any day now, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much <laughs> yeah. my Facebook feed. Okay. Isn't Kanye the Antichrist these right. days? I guess so. <laughs> but that's, that's what I, that's what I'm seeing. And so I'm wondering, is it that kind of thing that just puts a stigma on the whole conversation that even Keith Sherlin, our friend Keith Sherlin, is he doesn't talk about eschatology all the time, right? He's no. a future premillennialist. But I wonder if even the dispensationalists are like, oh, brother, this stuff again. And so they don't even want to talk about it to the extent that at the popular level, people want to talk about it. Uh, from the futurist perspective, because everyone else, I mean, those who have kind of, uh, let's say you take an idealist view of Revelation, mm-hmm. they don't really get into a lot of eschatology conversations in, in their le- academic. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember when I read that. I read some idealist stuff when I was spending that summer kind of trying to figure this out. Yeah. And I don't really remember much about it. Right, but that's, again, figuring out Revelation versus just how that relates to your overall eschatology mm-hmm. and, and all of this is just... So my excuse is this. Yeah, because we're giving excuses, right? My Yeah, my excuse for this is popular level, pre-trib, pre-millennial, Futurist dispensationalism killed my interest in it. And I think that's what will have to be distanced from in order for this to get popular again. Right. It's hard for me. Yeah. For people like me and you. And so it's hard for me to get excited about eschatology because of that. And I think that has affected a lot. Because of the sensationalizers, not because of the people that are academics. Yeah. I'm talking about the popular level. The pew talk that you see in Facebook for the crazies, right? 
Because, like I said a minute ago, while you're typing on your phone without paying attention, is I think that even dispensationalist scholars don't talk about it like as much as they could because they're just like, great. Now I'm all gonna, years now, man. Now we're gonna I'm talk. Now we're gonna talk about you know the mark of the beast and vaccines and everything else. And and I don't want to part. Of, you know, Dan Wallace. Does, let's just talk about manuscripts because I don't want to talk about my eschatology because then I get lumped into all of this other stuff. So mm-hmm. the Dallas. Theological Seminary School of Dispensationalists don't even wear it on their sleeves anymore that much because of mm-hmm. that one camp. Mm-hmm. The, the the Tim LaHaye uh, and the, uh, what was the other guy? Um, Hal Lindsey mm-hmm. version of that that's still prevalent. Yeah, yeah. That's, that pretty much killed eschatology for everyone. Are we just talking about eschatology today? Well, we can talk about other okay. other issues, but I'm just saying this is what you're kind of framing this like. These are our excuses for not being as involved in the eschatology, right? And why I do, and why I don't have an interest in even grabbing a bunch of literature. I mean, the the future is super interesting. There's a reason time travel movies are popular, right? But and for those of us in the past, so though. they go in, the the future ones are the ones that interest me the most. Oh, really? Yeah. I liked Back to the Future so too because they yeah. went to the future. But I, yeah, because we want to know what is the future going to hold. What's it going to be like in the yeah. future? What you know, time travel movies are great because of that. Now I'm not saying that people that are interested in Revelation, it's just because of that. But I think there's an element of that in it for those of us who think that that there are future actual things and there are promises about the future. If it's possible that this entire book is laying out events in the future, well, not right. the entire book, but you know what I mean, um, then. Yeah, that's super interesting, and we should want to unpack that. And, and they don't have out. a bad case. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I'm I'm less inclined towards that than the partial printers, but they have a case to make. Mm-hmm. You know, of course they do. Yeah, smart people. And so you think that there's a and facet- they, and, and not and not just a case that like they have a case that you're going to look at if you're on the other side, you're going to look at certain things and be like in the in your heart of hearts, be like, man, I, that one does seem tough. You know, that's what I like about Steve Gregg. He's like. He'll say, and this this passage, I mean, it's so dry about it. this passage poses a problem for my view because blah 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 blah. You know, and it's like, and in fact, in yeah. his in his uh, series on this issue, he that's on his website, he says, all right, on our next episode or on the next recording, he's doing it in a class. So he's like, yeah. when we meet again, I'm gonna go through. I'm going to present the futurist case, mm-hmm. and I am going to do it so well because he used to be one. When he was already Steve Gregg, Steve Gregg. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to present it so well that I think I don't, I, I'd like to see you try to find a futurist who presents it better than I do. That's his claim. <laughs> and so he says, but, but even when I come into class, I'm going to be the futurist. So just know that. But then you have to promise that you're going to come back for the next class when I'm going to show why everything I said was wrong. So he gives this case for the futurist perspective and it, you're going to sit there and be like, well, that is done. Futurism's true. He just proved it. Yeah. I don't even need to come to the next class because he can't rebut himself. <laughs> but then you come to the next class and he does respond. So actually, I think that's a good place to go to hear both sides. But what you don't get then is what the futurist then says back to Steve Gregg. Right. right? And that's not. Fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's fair for him, but yeah, it's not the you know you need. He to doesn't. Find- he carries more water for his opponents than most people are willing to do. So credit. To that that's a that's a test sure to, to he tries that. to fairly represent right. what they're saying so 
so for me though the sensationalized version of pre-milk pre-trib pre-everything what do you say you don't eat post cereal post toasty yeah post is the brand yeah uh, Toasties was the name of the cereal. Oh, okay. It's an old So that, that kind of dispensationalism, I think it did kill it for me because <sighs> just, just ridiculous. And then I thought Left Behind was that series. I started to read it. I never finished it because... Your wife, I bet, read them all. Yeah, she did. Um, but she, she has a higher threshold for bad writing than I do. Oh, come on now. He's got a legit author that helped him with that. Yeah, he's the Jeremy other guy. Jenkins, yeah, he's the, legit. That was that was no. I, there was too many things in there that just. He'll never I, see this, but if you do, Jerry Van Jenkins is that his name? Jerry B. Jenkins. Yeah, him too. <laughs> I think you're a. I think you're a good writer. He's got some classes on how to write well. A book maybe on the subject. Okay, he's 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 a he's a. Uh, I'm sure he's you're being hyperbolic. I didn't like the, but but I'm talking about the story. Okay. And the writing was kind of, eh. remember I'm an elitist snob who reads great books. So, um, it just wasn't as, it wasn't my speed. Okay. It wasn't even like reading Frank Herbert, Mm -hmm. you know, who wrote Dune, by the way, in case you didn't. Okay. Uh, so I I didn't know that you didn't know that. No. Okay. But I plan to listen to the audio book in preparation for the movie. You should. It's yeah. a good book. It's like because the audio book counts. Yeah, I think so. According to the good folks at Merriam-Webster, you can say you've read the book. Yeah, well, of course. And according to John the Pritchett, in the history of the world, you guys don't know this. Just casual moment. Mm-hmm. But we're coming off of. So the reason I've been on my phone a lot during this episode is because. Just before we started this episode, we ended a live stream where we were responding to Skylar Fiction and friends. And they got bothered, I think, that I know that Nathan, one of the guys we responded to, was bothered that we wouldn't let him on the show or go on his show. And so, you know, he was reaching out to me and and telling me that he didn't think I cared about truth and all those sorts of things. And so I've been. been, Is that what he said? Now, look, I had to apologize for Nathan because I thought that they were trying to invite themselves onto our program. Well, I'm not trying to slam us, Nathan further. I, no, I'm not. Instead of doing a instead of doing a uh, instead of doing a response video, have a conversation with him. And I had to, you know, I was like, well, wait a minute. They did a response video to you. Uh, and I don't remember them inviting you on. And it turns out Nathan and Skylar Fiction both invited him prior to them doing the response video. So I had to actually say, oh, I'm sorry, my bad, because Braxton never checked his messages because people don't normally invite us on when they respond to us, right? Mm-hmm. I've never seen, like Pine Creek did a response video to me, didn't say, hey, would you like to come on instead of me doing this response video to what you said? So I just assumed that this was the same, but that's what I get for making assumptions in a video talking about other people making assumptions because I made them too. And I didn't know that they had invited Braxton on. So I had to apologize for it. But you know what? We don't have to have people on our show when we do responses. And it's not because we're scared to have a conversation uh, with people. It's just, you know, guess what? We're going to respond to what you said in the video about Braxton. Here's the thing. Because you made assumptions like I did and you were wrong like I was about them uh, Wait, okay, so yeah. in this case, if I'm going to go on, like, let's say I went on their show, like, I have reasons, we have reasons 
why we don't just go on anybody's show yeah. or why we don't just have debates. I know that it's the Wild West on YouTube with worldview discussions where everybody's debating everybody to the point that debates barely mean anything anymore. But we have both debated, but we debate, we, we debate under circumstances. Now, I'm going to be very honest about this. Sometimes it's because the person who is asking me to debate and perhaps chiding me that I'm too scared to debate them while they're asking me to debate mm -hmm. um, does not appeal to me as an interlocutor. Yeah. Secondly, um, it could be the case that, and, and you don't know how many times I've had people kind of be a jerk like that to me. And then when I say that way you just talked right there is not somebody I want to debate. And then they start backpedaling and trying to be nice again and apologizing. Yes. For everything. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, that, that doesn't interest me. Um, and then, you know, another thing is, and this is where I'll be honest, this will give you a little bit of what you want. Um, I do put a lot into debates when I have a debate, like a real debate. Yeah. I put a lot real, into and by, it. And you get a paycheck for those debates. I'm not interested in the paycheck. I mean, I'm interested in the paycheck, <laughs> but I'm not. Okay, give all your future <laughs> paycheck paychecks to, to me. Yes, but I'll I, happily take it. But them. that's not why I do it. In fact, honestly, the times I've debated, yeah. I got paid less than when I've gone to small churches and preached. Um, Cause usually you're debating at a conference and you're one of many people they got to cover. Yeah. But um, I, it's not about the debate. It's not about the money. The, the thing about it is um, I put a lot into it. I prepare for months in advance, not because I, like in every debate so far I could have de that I've had, I could have had that debate the next day after a scheduled debate and it would have been the same result. Yeah. However, in case that's not the case, I have enough respect for the issues, whether even Christianity is true and or not. the opponent that you want to prepare for that. I opponent. want to give the best case I can and present well and have the, and, and know how to respond and all those kind of things. I, I take it very seriously. Secondly, um, it takes a lot out of me to debate. I, I do have, I I've been open about this. I've dealt with anxiety issues in the past. I'm on a medication for that. And so, um, public speaking itself, and that's what I do for a living is tough on me. Um, I've never completely gotten over it. And debates are the biggest expression of that, that I've done. I'm in that sense, I'm the worst person to ever be debating. However, um, God has gotten me through all of it and all of my debates, I think uh, were pleasing to him, I hope. And I'm pleased with all my debates, yeah. but that means that to put myself through all the things that I have to go through to have a debate, it, it needs to be a big deal. Yeah. It doesn't need to be just, hey, come on my channel and duke right. it out. And, and, he's, and, and talking to these people is not a big deal. Now, I have, uh, while we're being open and honest, mm -hmm. um, I have no interest. I think debates are boring now. I think debates are boring. <laughs> uh, but I've already had a debate with that type of person, right? And these, these were actually Christians who were that type of people. And I'd already seen, uh, with the particular individual, Skylar Fiction's debate with uh, Eric Hernandez, and I'm like, sorry, Eric, the only good thing that came out of that was your video response to your own debate, because that debate itself was a complete waste of your life. Um, now, it's good for entertainment, but, I mean, I just, debates are boring. Anyway, so... I don't know. I have some people that said um, the other day when I reviewed... Eric Hernandez versus um, Aaron Raw. Aaron Raw. Yeah, they said that they they believe in the soul today and the supernatural. The because of that debate. But, well, because of Eric's uh, stuff on the soul. So right, which would include that debate probably. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, no, I'm just saying that debate with Skyler fiction. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and to his... This has turned into a completely different yeah. topic. Yeah, because we were talking about eschatology and it doesn't take long to derail <laughs> that. Once again, illustrating the point <laughs> that we just completely lose interest in it. Um, but no, back to the topic. Um, I, I debate for uh, intellectual stimulation and uh, a lot of money. That's that's my thing, because it's otherwise I don't like it. It's not a lot of fun. I didn't have it's fun after the fact, like my debate in Houston was fun after the fact, you know. But when I was sitting there, I was like, I thought that I was going to have, you know, because like you, I put in all this work and we're going to have this highbrow intellectual mm -hmm. discussion among academics and debate and and, you know, that kind of thing. And what it was, was, you know, one side the equivalent of a monkey flinging feces. And so it was like pretty much. So it was like, this is what I did all of my academic work and all of my mm -hmm. debate prep for because, right. and then when you know ahead of time that that's what you're getting when you debate, when these YouTube atheists want to talk to you that you're going to get monkey slinging feces. No, mm -hmm. want no part of it. Yeah. Um, because I like to be a monkey on Trinity radio slinging feces, but it's fun when I do it just, you know, here. <laughs> so, so I don't want to get hit back, right? Well, PC, so. anything else you have to say on this topic? Yes. Okay, go ahead. As with eschatology, <laughs> if you have a theological issue in your life that you have very little interest in settling in your mind, it's okay. <clears throat> you don't have time to be an expert on everything. Okay? Mm -hmm. And believe it or not... I know enough about the different views of eschatology to know that there is a lot to go through. A lot of material to read. Maybe there's some lectures or whatever to watch or whatever. Um, there's a lot of scholarship to go through before you can really come to a firm conclusion if you're not already settled on something. Some people are settled on whatever their pastor was, and that's fine for them. But then they want to know why I don't agree with them, and then I'm saying, well, it's not that I... It's, I lean this way, but I don't really care. And then I try to get myself out of the conversation. And it's okay to not have a strong opinion on every theological view, you know, ticket item there is in a mm -hmm. systematic theology textbook. Uh, because even seminary professors don't have strong views. And eschatology, you'd think, would be a big one, right? Yeah. But I don't feel overly strong about one particular view, and I don't feel overly... Uh, stressed out about going to pick a strong view. Here's the thing. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, which he could, on my view, on any, on, well, on the futurist or the partial preterist view, I think, he can come back tomorrow. If he comes back tomorrow, I should be living my life in such a way that I'm pleasing to him whenever he comes back. And that's true if he comes back 10,000 years from now. So if he comes back tomorrow, that means we're if the future is true and the mid-trib view within the futurism is true, it would have to be at least mid-trib. Feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> or the pre-trib. I mean, right? it feels like it right it now. Either, in the culture. Either, yeah, either pre-trib or mid-trib would be true, right? Or pre-trib would be true. Pre-trib pre would, would be true. Yeah. Because the the Antichrist comes out. Oh, okay, after on the pre-trib premillennial, and, and people chalk this yeah. up differently too. But basically. Uh, the church is raptured. You get that in, um, is it first Corinthians chapter four, uh, is a picture of the rapture. You're talking about in second Thessalonians. I mean, yeah. For, what did I say? 
First Corinthians. No, First Thessalonians four thirteen through yeah, the end of the chapter, yeah. where it's talking about those that are alive and remain will be caught up to right. heaven. Okay, that whole thing. Um, uh, and then you, where that connects in Revelation, according to some, is that when you get to the end of chapter, I don't have a Bible handy, but three or four, I think it's chapter four. You get toward the end of chapter four is the last place that we hear about the church on earth. Yeah, right? it seems to be so. Like, haha, that's where it goes. That's where it took place. And then what you have is, um, and then you have two segments of three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So that you get the seven years of tribulation. And most of the time, the way they chalk it up is um, during the first half, you have the tribulation. The second half, you have the great tribulation. The first half, you have the, you know, there's some things that are happening there, uh, but it's a time of false peace. Mm -hmm. It's a time where there is a sense of peace but the reason that there's a sense of peace is because all the Christians are gone. So the, if you take the perspective that the Holy Spirit is indwells believers and that's that's the work he does on earth. Well, if all the believers are gone, the Holy Spirit's not working through the lives of believers on earth. There is a time of peace, but it's false peace. It's basically like all that's there is the enemy mm -hmm. kind of. And then um, at the end of the three and a half years, you have two candlesticks who come. And it's a common comment to make that we don't know who that'll be, but it could be you and me, right? So most people say Enoch and Elijah because they never died, but yeah. nobody really knows. It could be me and you. And these will be two candlesticks, two individuals filled with the Holy Spirit. Candlestick, lampstand, oil represents the Holy Spirit, that whole thing. They, they come, they begin to preach, um, and then the Holy Spirit is spreading. People are getting saved. Um, and then you got, and so as you move on, you've got the 144,000 great number from every tribe and nation that are saved as a result of this great revival. But at what cost has it come? Because now they're going to have to experience some of this chaos. And so that's kind of how that goes. And then ultimately you have the second coming. So, and then, so basically that if Jesus came back tomorrow, that could work for preterism and all millennialism. It could work for idealism. It could work for the historicist view and it could only work for pre-trib premillennial dispensationalism. I think, I think that's right. It can't work. If Jesus comes back tomorrow... It would have to have been the case that we were already in it or already it was over. So so it could work. Mid-trib elation, somebody could argue that... We're experiencing it. We've been experiencing the tribulation for, is what they would have to argue. For three and a half years. Yeah. For that view to be correct. I think that's right. So post-trib, if Jesus comes back tomorrow... They'd have to say that the last seven years was the tribulation. And if you abandon everything the popularizers have said about it, could you make that case? I don't think so. Yeah. But in a book rife with imagery, perhaps you could make some kind of an argument. I don't know. See, people who this is this is. Yeah. So this is, gives you the extent of... And if you want more on the Antichrist, if you're talking from this perspective, the futurist perspective, you would go to Second Thessalonians. Yeah, and the man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness. Which is not called Antichrist. The Antichrist is, like is not term. used that way. Yeah. <laughs> we have in First John, Antichrists, plural. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but that's... So this yeah. is why I lean against that stuff. Because it's like every... And then there's the whole Daniel, the whole case to be made from Daniel. But yeah, um, but yeah I... Yeah. I, yeah. So it's okay if you do not have a firm eschatology. It's okay if you don't have a firm soteriology, 
right? I know some people in the church that are like Calvinism, Arminian. I don't know. It could be a little bit about you know Calvinianism. Uh, like was it was that Craig Evans or Blumberg or one of those guys coined that term Calvinian? Could be this. Could be that. Yeah. So whatever the view is, if you don't have a firm view, it's fine. I don't know. You don't have time to 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 become an expert on every single issue in theology, and you're not required to have a firm commitment on things you don't know a lot about or things that you're not interested in. You don't have to be interested in every single issue of theology, so it's fine. And as far as eschatology, I don't know what it will take. Steve Gregg did not, as great as it was listening to him, did not spur me on to jump and take a deep dive into eschatology. So I don't know what it's going to take for me to care. So we had gotten asked, will y'all do something on eschatology or whatever in the forum? Uh, And this is about as good as it's going to get, I think. Yeah. All right. But you can audit Steve Gregg's revelation course at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary for $35. Jonathan, do you have any final thoughts or final words? You already asked me that. No, I think that was my final thought. Well, praise the Lord. Yep. We'll see you, you next wanna, time. Do you want to close this out this time? I was doing that, and then you interrupted me. And they say I always interrupt you. Thank you for watching Trinity Radio Extra. We appreciate your time and attention. Thank you, and God bless.